This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. This is the first show of 2022. And for that, I brought in my friend Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. Lee, welcome back to the show, man. It's good to be here. It's good to have this new year, too. Let's start by telling people a little bit about you and Hinge. Okay. Well, Hinge is a a branding and marketing firm focused exclusively on the professional services. And we focus on research-driven approaches, and that's taken us down the digital path these days more and more. Yeah. And, you know, we were just chatting about using the digital part of the video platforms to uh, get together occasionally. So let's start by talking about the status of the digital marketing transformation. I hear digital transformation in government, but for marketing, it's just very hard to predict where all this stuff's going. So give it out there. Okay. Well, the interesting thing is we have some fresh research on that. And as it turns out, only about 12% of professional services firms really have sort of made this transition towards integrating digital marketing with their traditional. And uh, and really, there's several reasons for that. You know, one of the reasons people cite is they, you know, don't know how to start, obviously, for some of them, or they don't have the right talent. So it seems like an understanding of where they want to go and the talent to get there is really holding a lot of them back. And they're just trying to figure out, what the heck do I do here? Is part of the problem resistance from people who are not digital natives and are in management or very senior management positions? Uh, I think that is. Uh, that is the, you know, the second biggest reason is we don't have the management support to do it. But the biggest single reason is we don't really have the talent. And the talent that we do have, if we have digital uh, savvy talent, they're fully utilized on other things. So we just really don't have a way to get to the marketing. Uh, and that that is, uh, I, I think, probably the single biggest barrier to them is where do we start and who do we have on board that can really help us get there? Yeah, well, well, that would lead to um, an obvious question. If you don't have it in-house, how do you select a uh, an outside firm or advisor to help you with this? What are the criteria? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the good news is that those firms that do bring in that outside talent are about nine times more likely to be successful in their digital marketing transition. And that, that's a pretty startling thing. And, and I think it really points out the importance of that talent. Um, the single biggest criteria that those that have uh, used outside talent is we need somebody who can get it right the first time. And what that means to most people is they understand our industry and they understand the kind of challenges involved in that sort of marketing transition. 
And, and I think that that relates to a little bit larger problem is that a lot of the digital talent these days has been involved in consumer marketing, direct to consumer. So that's uh, eating up a lot of the talent. And there's much less talent that understands professional services and B2B. Uh, and so you find uh, these firms, you know, hiring what they think is a, a great support for them that's done a lot of digital work for famous brands. But if it's all consumer, that's a very different task than trying to do it business to business and selling professional services. Yeah, selling soap does not translate into GovCon for professional services very well. And I've, I've, I've run across that in kind of an odd way as well, where a major tech company that's like 60% government and 40% commercial hires somebody from Procter & Gamble as the CMO. Yeah, exactly. And then wonders why it's not working so well. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we sold a lot of soap. Um, good. You know, I'm glad you're clean, but your God, you know, doesn't help your brain. Um, right. <laughs> exactly. What What else do we need to know about the, uh, the digital marketing transformation? Well, I, I think the, uh, the other underlying thing is that, uh, when you do the digital transformation, the companies that do that are both growing faster, but they're also more profitable. And, and I think that's something that's really uh, important to know. And even though they've brought in this outside talent to assist them in there, you look at their performance and they're more profitable than those that haven't made that kind of a transition. So it's a pretty doggone important thing if you want to grow and be profitable. And uh, most firms do. Yeah, that that's intriguing in a number of ways because you know their initial concern is how much is this going to cost me, yep. not how much am I going to grow my business as a result. Yep, it it, uh, it sort of uh, if you ask that question first, uh, it, yes, it'll cost you something, but anything that's going to move you forward really does. And the important thing is figuring out so you invest in the right things and don't spend it waste your money on things that don't work. Yeah. So let's migrate. We have several things I want to talk to you about today, and and hopefully our audience will find them equally interesting. So there's this talent shortage across the board, mm -hmm. but I'm concerned more with the shortage in marketing and BD. So I get requests from my clients and a number of friends to, you know, we want to uh, start looking at this opportunity over here, and we haven't been here before. Can you find a BD person? Do you know anybody that's marketed to NAVC or NAV Air? Um, you know, so they're getting pretty granular. Right. What can you do to help? Well, uh, I think that uh, what we're finding is the way that companies are getting around that is they're doing two things. One is they're uh, doing some research to understand what are the things, what are the issues that are topic in, whether it's NAVC or whatever the specific uh, content area is. And that's usually the starting place. And then the second thing they're doing is they're putting together a team rather than thinking about an individual person or one person who has all the answers putting together a series of team, both the content, those that understand technically what to talk about, 
those that can communicate that, so using outside writers and those that understand the channels to reach them. So often what you'll see is that the firms that are growing the fastest are using more outside resources than those that are growing slower. So they're leveraging those outside resources rather than hiring. Uh, specifically, sometimes they're renting, if you will, that talent to help them get that foothold and get that base into that new area. And I think that's really a smart strategy because these things change very quickly and what's on the cutting edge uh, can change soon. So if you are, aren't right up to the minute where it is, you might be talking about yesterday's insight. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the rent versus buy scenario keeps your overhead in in check. And for, you know, especially for a lot of the companies that I work with, the smaller firms, this is this is extremely important. But during that process, I also help them look for people that they can hire when they're ready. That's right. And if you think about it, uh, if, if you think just broadly, you think there's two things. There's the strategy you're going to do, and then there's the implementation. And, of course, you have to have both. I mean, one without the other doesn't do you any good. But often it's not the same person or set of people for one. So if you hire someone full-time to develop the strategy after it's developed, uh, they may not really know how to do the implementation or vice versa. So uh, I think that's really where this strategy sort of pays off. Uh, rent what you need for the short term and, you know, focus your hiring on those things that are going to be reoccurring and long term after you understand exactly what your needs are. Yeah. Yeah. When I go in for especially for something like a LinkedIn training program that's going to be, uh, you know, multiple weeks or multiple months where I'm coaching not simply the whole company, but a variety of individuals in between, I, I ask for or I require a main point of contact. Mm -hmm. And on occasion, this person is swapped out or leaves or something. And in one gig, I had four people over a five-month period that was my main point of contact. And, you know, that, that kind of non-continuity disrupts the program because what I'm trying to do is train that person to take over from me when I leave. Right, exactly. And that, uh, that I think, is kind of the nub of the problem. So one has to, I, I think if you can break the problem down to its constituents' parts and say, you know, one is I have to have this, I have to have the strategy developed. Two, I have to have somebody who can help me train talent internally. And three, I have to then be able to take it over. Uh, if you think about it that way, I think it's a lot easier problem than trying to find somebody who's going to do it all at once in the very beginning. Because if you knew exactly what to do and what you needed, uh, you'd probably do it differently. Yep. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. You can find him on LinkedIn uh, and you can find him uh, at hingemarketing.com. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. Um, Lee, you, you mentioned research a couple of times in the in the last segment. And oftentimes when, when you're a guest on the show, 
it's because you've released a new study, for which I'm most appreciative, by the way. I love your stuff. Sometimes it validates what I'm talking about, and other times it's like a brick to the side of the head. Hey, wake up, go this way. And I, and I need both. Uh, but why is research necessary to understand your customers? I mean, that's kind of a, a weird question, but a lot of people don't seem to get it. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think the misunderstanding is because we as individuals know a person or know something about it, we we kid ourselves into believing that we understand the totality of the market or the marketplace. And I think that's that's the real benefit research gives you is it gives you an objective view looking across different aspects of the market. Uh, and that tells you what is important to be talking about? What are the topics that are really going to move the needle? What are things that people really care about and how do you reach them? But research also plays another role, and I think you kind of alluded to it there, is we not only use our research to gain insight for ourselves, but it's also great to share with the clients because our potential clients, prospects, People are interested in what's going on in their marketplace. What's happening? What are my competitors doing? How is my marketplace changing? So research really makes some of the best content. Uh, there have been other studies out that says that research is the number one content in terms of both its credibility as content and, and people's eagerness to use it and share it with their colleagues. So it's a great way to both understand your market and then share that understanding back with the market as a piece of content. So you're paying for something once and you're using it for two different functions, which uh, I always find is a great, great way to, uh, you know, if you can pull that off in business, you're usually doing the right kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's, as you just said, there's a number of things that come out of this. You can better understand, you know, the buyer personas, you can uh, uh, see how people are absorbing information, their, their, their preferences as far as, you know, do they prefer audio? Do they, are they tactile? Do they want something printed? Uh, yeah. Do they, they want to watch? So yeah. um, knowing all that stuff allows you to take that information and not simply use it twice, but reformat it several times. Exactly. Exactly. It becomes your your sort of your well of content that you can go back to repeatedly. Uh, and it answers the question, what should I be writing about? What should I be talking about? What, what do my clients care about? Uh, and once you know that, you have a decided advantage over somebody else who's just going off their gut instinct. Yeah, there's a, a flip side to this that I, I run across occasionally, fortunately, not often. But people want to wait and get all the data before they make a move. And, you know, this kind of uh, situation leads to paralysis. Right. Paralysis of analysis. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it, it is a it is a tricky thing, though. But uh, one of the things that we're finding is w when you look at what are the most successful companies do? What, what kind of things do they track and what's most important? And we find out that, you know, if, you, if you're not tracking anything in your marketing, if you're not looking at any of the data, or if all you're looking at is historical data, 
you're not likely to be successful because historical data is by definition what used to happen. And what you need to be looking at is what's currently going on. So tracking your whole pipeline and finding out where is it falling down? Is it falling down because we don't have enough people are aware of us? Or is it falling down because we can't convert those to having a dialogue? Or is it that I can't generate enough opportunities? And if you understand kind of which link in the chain is the weak one, that allows you to direct your efforts in the right place. Because, you know, by the time you have all the data in that tells you what is successful and what wasn't, historical data, it's too late. Uh, you have to be dealing with what's currently going on and what's likely to happen in the future rather than what happened last year. Yeah, the, I mean, I find the historical data interesting, but um, I use it to kind of try to measure what, what trends, what's a fad, and yeah. maybe try to predict what's what's coming. Now, the problem with that is I've been advising on marketing to the government for 37 years. So there has been a number of large changes in the marketing venues. Mm -hmm. Technically, you know, the basic information remains the same. Content has been king literally forever. The delivery vehicles, however, have changed radically. But I had a client once that, that, and not that long ago, who was addicted to selling his services through a catalog. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, data, the, did, data didn't help him. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is the case. You know, it's very easy to do that. And, and just like waiting for all the data to come in uh, to have a perfect understanding is just about as foolish as waiting for things to slow down before you take on something that's important. Things never slow down and you never have all the data because it's constantly changing. So you have to find that spot that allows you to change at a pace that sort of matches the, uh, the rate of evolution of the marketplace. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of begs the question for me. I think there was a play about this once called Waiting for Godot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> waiting for the data. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, how long are you going to wait? Um, mm -hmm. You know, because the contracts are being awarded, task orders are going out, uh, your competitors are gaining market share, and you're sitting there going, huh. Wonder what's going on out there. <laughs> what what happened? <laughs> Where did my market share go? Mm -hmm. So, um, what is your? You, you just released a study, right? Right. We just released one on digital transformation, and we're getting ready to release one, uh, the 2022 study on what the fastest growing, most profitable firms are doing. Oh, cool. Kind of a uh, uh, hand-in-glove situation there. You got the transformation and the, and the what's working. Yep. So when, when the what's working comes out, please, let's get back together. In the meantime, we are going to take a break. You're listening to Tower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what all this means uh, for your website and, and SEO. So Lee and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. 
I'm here today with Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing, and we're going to talk about uh, what all this research does and the digital marketing transformation, what this means for your websites. I mean, they they remain key. Uh, yeah. You know, you Google somebody, they're going to show up two ways. They're going to show up as through their website, and they're going to show up on on LinkedIn. So, what what do they need at their website? There's really uh, three things that really come together to be found on websites, and and it's interesting. We're seeing Mark. Uh, each time I talk to you, the data gets seems to get stronger and stronger about how important this is. Uh, there's really three elements to this. One, obviously, is the content. What are you talking about? Are you talking about things that are relevant uh, that people really want? And that's, that's reflected in the keywords and the topics you talk about. And, of course, there is also a technical element to it. Uh, Google and other search engines are concerned with, is it mobile friendly? Uh, and that's kind of the first and foremost things in ranking factors now. Uh, does your website load quickly? Is the user experience uh, great? And they have ways of assessing that. So those technical aspects of how it's designed and how it operates and how it loads and all of those are a second factor as well as the content. And then the third factor that really plays in is sort of your credibility. And that is who who respects what you do, who links to your content, how many inbound links. And what, you know, you learn uh, very quickly if you go in there is there's a lot of people who try to game the system, who think there are shortcuts by, you know, fake links and that. But the real shortcut is do it right. You know, do it right in the first place. Uh, research it so you know which the content is. Write things that are the best piece of content on that topic that are truly helpful. And what you will see is that people will then start to uh, refer to it. So uh, using your outbound promotion, digital PR, uh, sharing it on social uh, sharing it in uh, other kinds of contexts so people write about it. And I think that's one of the things in the, in the other segment where we were talking about research that works so well because research helps you target what you want to talk about. And in, in itself, it is great content. It's content that people want to link to. So when you put those two things together, that really drives SEO. And a matter of fact, SEO is probably the single biggest marketing technique that distinguishes between those firms that are really growing quickly and are most profitable versus those that are trying to catch up. Okay, so uh, it'll it'll drive traffic. Hopefully, it'll drive qualified traffic. I look at some websites and the people there say, you know, we have these white papers. I can't find them, right? Other websites I go to and they have the resources button right on the top nav bar. Go to resources. There's white papers. There's case studies. There's the blog. There's the newsletter. Sign up. Everything's under one one button, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you take somebody who's posting a white paper on their website that maybe they can't even find and handhold them to the other side of the universe? I mean, 
the the first company I referred to you had this issue, and unfortunately, I don't think they stayed around long enough to benefit because mm-hmm. I didn't see much of a change on their website. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think part of the problem is that sometimes websites become, uh, I don't want to say overly political, but they do become political where this department wants it this way and that department wants it that way. And so they try to sort of compromise uh, internally. If you see a website that's complicated and hard to follow, generally when you scratch the surface, what you see is they're trying to please the internal audience rather than focusing first on the visitors, the people who are coming to their site. Uh, and if a visitor can't find what they're looking for fairly quickly, uh, you got problems. But if you are organized the way you talked about, where you have the resources together, you have them accessible so the search engines can find them, and you have written them around topics that are topics people really care about, that really takes care of about 90% of the issues right there. Uh, So it's like, are you looking in the mirror and thinking about your internal audience only? Or are you thinking first and foremost about the external audience? And if that's your guidepost, I think that's going to get you through a lot of those issues. Well, you know, there there have been issues with internal people and with, you know, the companies that, that help people set up websites when they succumb to these fads. And I remember particularly the uh, the advent of that flash stuff. Yes. That, uh, you know, all the websites open on this glittery crap and it ran for like, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 seconds, usually around 30. And, you know, about halfway through that, I click out and go to the next website. Yeah. And I'm starting to see a little bit of that again with, you know, you click on a website, it immediately opens to a, a video chat and it may or may not be discussing why I'm there. Exactly. And, and I think that's the that's one of the things that if you start with SEO as kind of your guiding point about what is the content that people really care about, uh, and you make that accessible. You know, the, I, I often say that you know people try to put as much as they can on the home page, which is one of the worst mistakes you can make because the goal of the home page is to get you off the home page into where you really want to be. And so you're, if you're spending 30 seconds looking at a video on a homepage, uh, you're going to be losing people. Uh, you have to help people find what they want as quickly as you can. And then when they've found it, then they're patient with you. They'll go through and they'll look at the depth. But if they can't find what they're looking for, they're gone. Okay. Should companies when when you're doing something in particular driving uh traffic to a particular contract or a particular piece of content should you use a separate landing page for that it's great to have a separate landing page for a piece of content and the answer is usually yes but be careful of proliferation of different websites and different domains. Uh, and we've seen a lot of companies make this mistake where they set up a whole different domain for a particular, you know, a particular program or something. You want to keep as much as you can consolidated on the domain, but easy to find. 
And that is that is a balancing act. And that's where the real talent of design comes in is how do you understand your visitors enough so that you help them find what they're looking for. And then when they found it, you give them enough for there to be substance on. You know, one of the real key balancing acts is balancing content length and content accessibility. You know, you hear a lot about short attention spans, and that's true. There is. But in reality, uh, the kind of content that pulls the most traffic is oftentimes the stuff that's more in-depth and really fully answers the question and and educates the reader. So how do you make in-depth content easy to find and easy to understand what's there? So it's easily organized. It's, uh, it's got bullet points. So it's easy to skim to find what you're looking for. But then when you found it, it gives you enough depth underneath that. Yeah. And that, you know, that easy to understand part reminds me of conversations that we've had several times about subject matter experts. You know, mm-hmm. one of the keys to a subject matter expert is being able to take that complex subject and make it understandable to a lay audience. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's a the famous Einstein quote, if you can't explain it simply, you don't really understand it. There you go. We're, we're, we're already on to content, and we were going to go there. So um, we're going to take a break. We'll take a longer segment after this to talk about all kinds of things for content. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my good friend uh, and and uh, and content producer Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. So, Lee, uh, I, I've addressed this. You've addressed this, but you know. What what do we do content-wise? How do we get that a short attention span person to start paying attention? Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of, uh, I think of it as layering your content. Uh, you know, you have the, the core of it, which is really the most substantive part that you've written. Uh, and that can be a piece of, around a piece of research or a major white paper or something. That's kind of the core piece of content. And then from that, there are different part, parts of it or different topics of it that come out that can become, you can think of them as shorter pieces, things that make great uh, uh, content for social media uh, or for a short video or something about that. And then if you go out even further from that, you get to what we think of as the headlines or the things that sort of grab the attention. That can be a statistic or a quote or something that really grabs the attention. And so if you think about it that way, that you're looking at at least a, a couple of layers, two or three different layers of content, it's the uh, hooks the headlines that are the attention grabbers. Those are the things that you go most widely with, but they're relatively superficial, but they should always have an offer or an opportunity to get to the next level of detail with the content. Help the person say, oh, that's interesting. 
tell me more. And then you've got a more you can tell, which might be a blog post, a short post or something. And then finally, you have the core content. So if you think about it, I think in these three layers, that's the kind of balance you're looking for that helps you find, uh, you know, take that in-depth piece of content and make it something that's attention grabbing. Yeah, and you know that that one has always uh, been been um, a stickler for me. The the title of a piece, that headline for a piece. Um, fortunately, I had my. Uh, my daughter here over the holidays and she edits my stuff anyway. And we played with about, I don't know, 10 different titles for my latest LinkedIn post. And, you know, that seems like a lot for, you know, something as mundane as a LinkedIn post, but I was, we were, I wrote this piece about the Van Gogh exhibit, which Mm -hmm. is this totally immersive visual experience that's supplemented by, you know, these little painting studios off to the side, a lot of just hands-on kind of stuff. So it's like a total experience kind of thing. So we ended up with Van Gogh, Complacency, and Marketing Epiphanies, because the reason I wrote the piece is Wall Street Journal reported that traditional galleries were, were very irritated that this exhibit was getting all the attention and they were losing visitors. They were losing market mm-hmm. share. And I'm going, you know, why are you pissed? Why aren't you borrowing right. these ideas? <laughs> exactly. E- exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great point. And I sort of have this informal rule that uh, uh, I, I think probably helps put it in perspective. You know, when, when I have a piece of content or something that's important, uh, I think about one third of your time should be in developing the content, and, and that's and, and people spend you know sometimes people think that's all that should be a hundred percent, but that's about one third of your time. Uh, another third of it should be in figuring out how to promote that, what the the title, the hook, the things are there, and that's every bit as important as the content. And then the other third should be in actually spending the time promoting that and doing the things on social media, uh, doing your networking and social selling, getting out there and letting people understand about that. And if you think about it that way, that puts a kind of a different spin on what it is. And, you know, if you're a firm that has some resources, it may be three different sets of people that are involved in that. So someone who's good at coming up with the headlines or the hook may not be the person who's writing the piece at all. You know, your subject matter expert may be dry as, as dust. Uh, and they need the help of another person, another perspective to make it appealing and captivating and interesting. And like, what the heck is that about? I want to read more. Yeah. And make it understandable. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And if you're missing any of that, uh, you're going to find you're probably going to be disappointed with the results. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I like the one third, one third, one third approach. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the title is the uh, is the carrot. Mm-hmm. And without the carrot, you know, you can write the most brilliant piece or create the most brilliant video or have this, you know, truly insightful podcast but if if people aren't drawn to it, they'll never discover it. 
Uh, you're exactly right. And I'll, I'll tell you, Mark, I see uh, the other mistake being made, too, where people have excellent promotion and a great cat, uh, you know, catching title, and then you get the piece of content, and it's nothing there. It's empty, an empty well, suit. You know, it's yeah. like a rehash of 30 things you saw last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it comes to companies just getting off the ground in content, mm -hmm. where do you start them? Uh, generally, I'll start uh, saying, let's start with one solid piece of content that really kind of captures the essence of what's most important for what you're trying to do. You know, it, it's uh, it may be, uh, let's say it's like an executive guide that's 25, 30 pages around long that talks about this particular specialty or this particular thing that you're trying to focus on and growing. Not everything in the world that your firm can do, but, you know, have a focus and write one solid piece about that. And then take that solid piece uh, and make sure it's well edited, it reads well, people can understand it, uh, the target audience. And, the tar and remember, the target audience is not just the final decision maker, because usually the decision in any kind of organization these days gets made by a group of people. It's not usually just one individual person. Uh, and there, so there are influencers. And when you've got that core piece, then do two things with that. Break it down into shorter pieces that all link back to or talk back to that core piece. So you're taking the little, uh, the interesting bits of that and making shorter pieces out of that one piece and then promote those shorter pieces. So start with one solid thing, break it into smaller pieces and then promote those smaller pieces. That I think kind of helps you understand all the different parts of the process and you'll find like, oh, that's good. But here's another topic that I think is also important. And then you can begin to replicate it because you have a model of success and you have a model of how it works. Okay. So uh, these these pieces, so should they be standalone? Should they be white papers available on your website? Should they be the start of a blog? Should they be LinkedIn posts? Should they be all of the above? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, for the core piece itself, yeah. if it's truly valuable, that's something that we usually recommend you would put behind a low-level registration wall. And by low-level, I mean you're asking for only the minimal amount of information for that high-quality uh, high piece, high-content piece. The pieces that promote it that you pull out should be open access, should not be behind a registration wall. And the promotion of that, uh, your social media is obviously also open access. So two thirds of what you do is open access and it's only the final piece, the most valuable piece that's behind a registration wall. But if you don't have those pieces that are outside the registration wall, it's very difficult for people to be motivated to download the piece or even to find it or know that it exists. So once again, you're putting about two thirds of your effort on uh, promoting it and explaining it, 
what's in the piece and why it's important and what some of the interesting findings are to get people interested enough to take the next step to the download. Right. So, I mean, I, I think everybody who knows me knows my favorite way to get content out is to put it on LinkedIn and then start sharing it with connections, with groups, all mm -hmm. of the above. Where where do you start? Um, it, a similar kind of place. We will generally start with uh, what is the uh, the audience we're trying to reach and what is the topic that is or the issue that we're uh, wanting to talk about. Then we'll develop that core piece of content. And from that core piece of content, then we'll break that out into smaller bits. Uh, so there'll be one bit that will be a, uh, a blog post or a series of blog posts. So one of our favorites would be something where you have a... Um, uh, a executive guide that has like, let's say five chapters in it. And you take, and that is behind the registration wall, but you take each one of those chapters and you turn those into blog posts that are not behind a registration wall. And those blog posts might be uh, even guest posts on somebody else, but they link back to your core piece of content. And then you take the, those and you break in, down into even smaller bits that you can use on social media, which may be about around one statistic or one part of it. So you have all three of those, and we start from the core and work out. Cool. Um, let me know when that new study comes out, and we'll have you back. you have any final thoughts here? Well, I, I think that uh, the main thought is it all starts with understanding your client and your customer. And if you're starting in any other place, you're probably making a mistake. The better you understand that and the better you can build from there out, the more likely you are to be successful. Cool. Lee, thanks so much for joining me again. Uh, I'll see you again uh, in this new year. Uh, hopefully pretty soon. Uh, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on marketing to the government, but I specialized over the last uh, almost decade now on social selling, leveraging LinkedIn, leveraging content, building that SME platform, and helping companies build out a, a lead gen program and a visibility program. So if you need advice on that, give me a call. If you need an agency for that, give Lee a call. Um, in either case, thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. There's a better way to drive traffic to your e-commerce store. Harness the power of AdRoll Dynamic Display Ads. Promote your products with interactive ads or showcase your best offers with an in-ad video. Not only is it easy for customers, you save money too. 
Dynamic Display Ads lower cost per conversion by 50% compared to static ads. See the difference. Visit adroll.com to get started today. Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb/contractorbetter.